Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34. Hello. Um, okay, so you said that you care about basic needs. Do you have thoughts to stand up for the people in your district that are suffering from um, health issues due to air pollution? Do you have one of the worst economic, um, sorry, environmental justice records in a district with 75% of oil drilling and 35% of refineries in our state? You have voted no on several bills to limit this air pollution. Do you think that would have anything to do with the nearly $200,000 that you've received from fossil fuel industries? So what's your question? Why have you voted no? You voted no on what? On environmental issues. I have voted no. So, so what she's talking about, she got this from my opponent, right? She's probably sitting here. Facts right. I'm actually here for Project Super Blue, okay. so you get that's the fine. That's fine. as well, please. That's fine. So I'm saving people's lives, right? I get a whatever the percentage was that you named, that's fine, right? I'm going to focus on people who lose their children on a daily basis. I'm going to focus on jobs. Many brothers and sisters who come out of prison to get them a job. sure that I say the person who's laying under the tree, the homeless individuals. So that has been my priority. That has been my trajectory since I've been elected. I have a record. When you look at what I voted on, what I didn't vote on, the bill you're talking about, which I have no reference because you haven't told me the bill it was, why you just put it out there. Look at what I have voted on and look at the things that the people who I've helped through my public policy. I've been elected since 2005 and through through 2005, I have stood up for my community. You have people who don't know this community who try to change the narrative. Do I help, do I put people out of work? And that's what this young lady is saying. How do a father who get out of prison supposed to take care of themselves? This week on the podcast, I'm very excited to be speaking to Assembly District Candidate Fatima Iqbal Zubair, who is running in AD 65. Welcome. Thank you for having me here, Tina. I'm very excited to talk about you because I think this is a very important race. Uh, you know, you, the guy you're running against has been pro-fossil fuel. You are uh, pro-environment justice. There's lots of differences between the two of you. I know you've been endorsed by Bernie Sanders. I believe you've been endorsed by several of the environmental groups, uh, Sunrise Movement, perhaps, uh, mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles. So I'm, I want to get into some of, of the uh, environmental issues in your district because it is one of the most polluted in the country. And I'm not sure that a lot of folks realize that. They think mm -hmm. of California as being you know, the green state, what have you. And we have a lot of uh, fossil fuels here. So right off the top, though, I wanted to ask you about uh, the show that you're in called more than robots. You're a mm -hmm. teacher at Watts High School and mm -hmm. a group of your students are on this Disney Plus show. It's very exciting. How did that happen? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you, Tina, for asking about more than robots. Um, you know, we didn't, it kind of just fell into our lap. So, you know, and I, I think the reason it did was our team when we was founded in 2017 um, was obviously only black and brown students, right? Uh, I teach in Watts and it's a low-income community. And so in sort of the STEM world and the robotics world, in the first robotics world, uh, first, by the way, is a nonprofit that provides, you know, STEM education after school. Um, we were kind of a, a novelty, right? Because, you know, let's talk about it. A lot of these spaces are filled with folks that are white, that have more privilege, that have parents with a college education, things like that. So 
our team, um, you know, you know, obviously I love my students and I love the community of Watts. I mean, it's my district, right? Um, but I, I was, I'm so proud that the world, you know, when the team started has seen kind of their greatness, right? And seen their resilience and seen um, basically just, just being able to humanize them on, on the, in the best way possible, right? Um, and because of that, uh, we never asked for any of these things, but we started getting some media attention uh, in, you know, different, different places. And, um, you know, and then um, my husband's also uh, has a robotics team. So the documentary folks that did it said, oh, this would be a cool story. Like, you know, the husband and wife duo in LA uh, and our teams actually are, are very different. You know, his team is, uh, has a lot more uh, privileges in terms of their space and, and their resources and money than we have. So it just created a really nice dynamic. Um, and so that's how it kind of happened. So much fun. And I love that you're working with these um, at-risk youths in that area. So uh, speaking of Sunrise Movement, which is mainly a, a group that is run by youth, uh, they're worried about obviously the consequences of climate change for their generation. They think the older generations have sort of turned their back on them in this regard. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, recently, there was a couple of climate change scientists that uh, pinned themselves or actually chained themselves, I should say, to the Chase Man uh, Bank in downtown Los Angeles to protest climate change. Yeah, um, I'm here because I'm desperate. <laughs> I'm desperate for something to be done about climate breakdown. I mean, um, it's getting so bad and I've tried to do so many things already and nothing's worked. So. Um, this is a global day of action by a group called Scientists Rebelling. So there's 1,200 scientists in over 30 countries that are risking arrest through civil disobedience. So they're all doing this all over the world right they're now? They're doing this all over the world today, yeah. And okay. it's following on the heels of the Working Group 3 IPCC report, which says that we're completely out of time. we got to stop increasing the fossil fuel industry and increasing emissions and start coming down right now. And it's not happening. World leaders are still arguing and still pushing to expand the fossil fuel industry which is taking us exactly in the wrong direction we need to go if we want to have a livable planet in the future so that's why i'm here, awesome. I'm here yeah. for my kids too here because, for your kids too yeah i'm, I'm terrified of, of what's I'm terrified of even the next few years like the heat dome and what's happened in the last couple of years has been terrifying it's going to get worse and worse and worse yeah, in fact that was end. going to be my question even yeah, if we stop here. emitting carbon today I think we're still facing devastating consequences, right? Like when we stop emitting CO2, we, as soon as we stop that, however hot it gets, that's basically how hot it stays. So every day we wait to stop it makes it a little bit worse. So that's why it's it's not about net zero by 2050. It's not a, forget about two degrees Celsius or 1.5 degrees Celsius. What everyone needs to know is that every day we wait, it gets a little worse. That's all. It's as simple as that. So we gotta stop it now. The faster we stop, the more we save. The longer we wait, the more we lose. And why Chase Bank? Because Chase Bank funds the fossil fuel industry more than any other bank on the planet. And they gotta stop it. Change. Yeah. And we had this insane law enforcement turnout for these four scientists that were basically chilling at the doors, chained to the doors, nothing violent. There's no uh, real risk there. But there was a massive, massive law enforcement turnout. What mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it kind of shows what our priorities are as a city, right? Um, it shows a complete dissonance and disconnect with what the people of LA really want. Um, 
And, and I think, you know, just speaking about climate, I mean, we could talk about homelessness in the distance there as well and public safety and all of these things. But with, with all those issues, actually, so I'll just kind of talk about all of them. I think with climate, you know, since this was a, a nonviolent climate protest, um, it shows that, you know, it, it's just ironic, right, that, that these are mm-hmm. folks that are fighting to keep our community safe in existence, right, protect our planet. Um, yet it, it was, it, 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 for some reason, police came out and, and, and deemed this as a, as a breach in law, right, or a breach in something that is good, right, which it, yeah. which it is. And so it's just this complete dissonance and disconnect. And then I think when you look at the other issues, which I'm sure we might talk about, like homelessness and public safety, there's a complete disconnect there too with, with what Los Angeles, with what Angelinos want, and even folks in my district want, versus what's been offered and what hasn't worked, frankly. So you are currently an e-board rep for your district. And for folks that don't know what e-board is, that is a internal Democratic Party uh, leadership role. So there are changes I know that have been um, being pushed by delegates, progressive delegates in the e-boards and in uh, various positions as delegate positions in the state. Are there any particular reforms that your group is working on that you're having any, any success with? I would like to say, like, you know, there's times I feel hopeful, but I think a lot of times we're fighting against a, a power structure that isn't moving fast enough on the issues that we would like them to because of the urgency we feel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of those issues that you know, I'm a delegate, but I'm also on the board of the Progressive Caucus, uh, you know, of the party and we're the largest caucus, um, you know, in, in the state, um, because there's a lot of folks that, that feel like the Democratic Party um, isn't moving fast enough, and, and they aren't. I mean, we haven't passed a good climate bill since 2018. Our housing crisis is getting worse, uh, you know, and our public safety model um, isn't working for many. It's putting too many folks in jail, and it's not based on a system that's focused on care and accountability, right? And so anyway, there's a lot of frustration, all those fronts and more. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so one thing that we were working on in collaboration with some of the other caucuses, like the environmental caucus, the black caucus, the veteran caucus, was getting fossil fuel money and law enforcement money out of the party. And, um, you know, we, in this fight, we were allied with these caucuses inside the, inside the party, but we were also allied with outside groups like Sunrise LA, um, like the Black Lives Matter movement across the state. Uh, you know, so we, you know, we brought a lot of those speakers in into the, the special e-board meeting that we called, right, to root out these resources of money. Um, and it was long overdue. We had actually gone through the process of having these sort of committee meetings, doing all the official things we were supposed to do. And we were just wondering why this issue of, particularly law enforcement money and oil money, yeah. uh, which went through these classes weren't being acted on. I mean, all the money's bad, but these are the two we were focused on. And, you know, we were successful in getting, I would say, 85 to 90% of the party to stop taking money, which I, which is good, obviously. That's impressive, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is, but, but you know, a, a lot of us are like, well, there's still, you know, um, uh, Semfra money and SoCal Edison money, and there's still, you know, for law enforcement, I believe folks can still take, still take sheriff's money and things like that. Yeah. So it's still impressive, but, you know, it is impressive. And, and I, it's important to say that, right, because... A lot of them progressives, we feel down and we feel like yeah. you don't see the glasses half and right. But but you're right. Thank you for saying that. It, it is because I know long before when I was there, I mean, this was a fight for you know a, a few several years, several years for sure. Um, and so yeah, definitely great. We, we definitely want to get the party to stop taking 100 percent of the money, and we eventually want to get the party to stop endorsing candidates that take this money. But that involves more complicated, you know, changing of the rules and all that. And it's, it's we can have a whole episode on this, Terry, Akina. Sorry. But no, we absolutely could. I know automatic. I, I don't want to keep rambling on about it, but like 
literally there's so much I could talk about internal party corruption and what we can do to make it more just and democratic. Because um, right now it's not as best. No, it's not. I mean, automatic endorsements, I know, has been something on the minds of progressives for years now. That's something they've been trying to change because the Democratic Party tends to just let's just endorse the incumbent. And for a lot of people in the state that don't realize this, uh, they think, okay, it's California, it's progressive. But it's also a one-party rule at this point. Yeah, and we also say it's California, and I'm saying it because I love California. The people of California are progressive, our elected officials are not. I, like, let's I, just say yeah, that. Let's, that's right. let's just say it, right? They're yeah, not talking about who we are. You're right. Like, it's not just my race, but I think for the most part, yeah. we have a few good ones, of course. I can name them, you know, probably on two hands only, or maybe one hand, right? But yeah. A few good ones, but for the most part, the elected officials are not representative of what people want. You are absolutely 100% correct. Uh, they try to serve two, two masters, right? Their donors and then their constituents that they're actually supposed to be serving. And more times, more often than not, it's the donors that went out, that went out and, and get what they want. So, and there's definitely a tension that exists between these two groups. Anyone that doesn't see that's not paying attention. I would say it's why we have such severe income inequality in the state. It's why we don't have environmental justice in areas like Compton. It's why we have more fracking permits than any other state being handed out by a, you know, so apparently progressive governor, right? That doesn't see the problem with that. So, um, you know, I think I think internal party politics of the Democratic Party are key if we're going to have any change in governance in the state because it is a one-party state, and not everybody in the party is is on the left side. That's just how it is. Yeah, I, I would I would say not on the people side, right? Not on the people, people side. That's right. Yeah, you're not correct. On the people side, right? These, these yeah. are left or right policies, right? They are policies that are just good for people. Like, that's right. And that's what, like, you know, for example, we talk about like Bernie Sanders, right? Where he did well, he did well, and sometimes in rural red places, right? Mm-hmm. Places that were independent and things like that. I think there's a reason for that. I think it's just, yeah. these policies are just good for people. Yeah, right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we I mean, it, they, people tend to see it as left wing policy. Yeah. But no, you're right. Yeah. I mean, think about how many people and it's a true thing, how many people that went from Bernie Sanders to Trump. And it isn't because they think Trump's a good guy. They just knew what they were going to get with the, you know, establishment bankster type candidates. Right. And they thought, well, this guy's sharing some of the same messaging, even though he's lying about it. That's another conversation, even though he's also a fascist and a racist. I mean, there, but there is a percentage of the population that jumped from Bernie to Trump, which is, yeah. prima facie, it seems really bizarre, right? Because they're so different. But mm-hmm. when it came to working class economic relief, they were both sort of using the same messaging. And that's what people were responding to, I think. So you're right. It doesn't have to be necessarily left wing. I'm just, that's just my personal viewpoint. <laughs> so um, I think it's really important that, that, the e-boards, that the delegates, uh, that all of these internal party spaces get filled with people that actually want to push through push through reform, because right now the Democratic Party is not serving uh, the people of the great state that they're supposed to be serving. Um, I want to talk about Mike Gibson for a minute, the the current rep for the area, because he is uh, he is an ex police officer. He is on the conservative side, in my opinion. If you go to his website, you'll see that he doesn't have any language about supporting single-payer Medicare for all. It's about expanding coverage, which is an insurance term. You'll see that he uh, has voted for bills that are pro-fossil fuel companies. I'm thinking about AB 1395, which was supposed to set a goal of having 100% clean energy in the state uh, by 2045, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
And then AB 1328, which would have uh, strengthened the emissions reporting requirements. Uh, mm -hmm. He voted no on that. So there's there's a legacy there of him not being pro-environment, even though he says he's pro-environment. And there's a video currently circulating in social media. I've seen it on Instagram. I've seen it on Twitter, where a woman of color and a constituent, and I'll tell you why this matters, is because he actually tried to blame the situation on white people from Beverly Hills even though he yes. was being uh, held accountable by somebody that lives in his district that's a person of color, which is, so it's remarkable that that was his response. But in right. the video, she's asking him basically about his voting record on environmental <laughs> factors. She's talking about, uh, you know, environmental justice because it is often the case that it's the poorer uh, neighborhoods that end up with all of these polluting industries in their, in their backyards, right? There is definitely yeah. a relationship to be had here. And a big chunk of this district, Compton, Watts, et cetera, is very much uh, experiencing that and it needs to be addressed. So, so don't come and tell me about the things that I should be working on that don't matter to the people in my community. You said that you care about basic needs, but you have felt to stand up for the people in your district that are suffering from health issues due to air pollution. Do you have one of the worst environmental justice records? You have voted no on several bills to limit this air pollution. Do you think that would have anything to do with the nearly $200,000 that you've received from fossil fuel industries? So I'm saving people's lives, right? I gotta, whatever the percentage was that you named, that's fine. I have a record. When you look at what I voted on, what I didn't vote on, the bill you're talking about, which I have no reference because you haven't told me the bill it was, why you just put it out there? I don't have stones to throw for the simple fact because I have a record to stand on. Not this fairy tale that people in the white community in Beverly Hills and Malibu trying to change narratives for the people here who struggle to make ends meet. So I continue to fight for those individuals in my community. It's not the people who's trying to convince people um, about a new narrative. How you differentiate yourself from Mike Gibson, because I think you're the opposite of what he's doing here. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, like, um, 100%. Um, you know, how I differentiate myself from actually, you know, before I start with policy, the first thing that comes to mind is compassion. Like, I'll say this, like, you know, I, one, you know, I, and I don't want to talk about my identity, but I think it's the reason we need more women, we need more teachers, more working class folks, more folks from different experiences in there who aren't just climbing up the political ladder, right? Um, like, the reason I ran wasn't because I waited my term, but because I saw an urgency in my community that wasn't being met. That's why I got into this. I'm an organizer that happens to be a candidate, right? Um, but I think that's really important. I, I want to talk about compassion, right? It's very important. Because if you start with the right character and if you start with the right uh, you know, frame of mind, the right the integrity, right? Your policies will fall through, right? It'll be harder to vote no on things that are hurting, that, that are good for people. Um, or, and, and it would be easier to support things, right? That, that people want. And so I just want to talk about we defer because of compassion. I think if you saw that video, that wasn't even the whole video, but yeah. you know, because they, they just had to do clips. But he was berating her. I want to call it that. That was verbally abusive. Yeah, it was. And I saw the five-minute-long video. Constituent, but I really don't. I don't know because, like, that means that you know, when no one's looking, I mean, he'll have no problem voting however he wants to vote or doing whatever he has to do, or threatening or bullying other legislators. I don't know. I mean, I'm not 
thing to imply that, but I just, I don't need to talk a lot about that, but it is something important. The character of a, someone who's supposed to be a servant leader paid by taxpayer money and, and you are berating someone. Yeah, he was berating The job is to be held accountable. So I wanted to call that out because bullying, lack of compassion yeah. has no place, would have no place in my campaign, would have no place in my leadership. Um, and so that's number one. Number two, yes, the policy difference, but I think it carries through from the lack of compassion because when you don't feel the genuine love and you feel you're disconnected from what people are saying because you're not listening but talking at them, that's what happens, right? You don't act on the policy. And so, yes, the way we defer is one, our character, which is important to know. I would never do that to a constituent. Um, second um, is um, we defer in our policy. I mean, because I leave with compassion and I check myself when I make mistakes, right? I want to be humble and I can't go do that. My, my whole uh, mindset in how I approach policy is what do I hear on the ground, right? Yeah. What do I hear what's happening? What have people been experiencing for decades? And, and the truth is our district, if you are listening, if any leaders listening, and this is why when I heard the video, Tina, I cried. I didn't even cry. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a no, my reaction was like, this is great. I can nip him in the butt. Like, again, yeah. Like, it was disturbing. Was it was very so disturbing. I, I was by myself and I, I literally, like, like my husband and I got out of town and I cried. And I surprised myself, but I think I cried because of the intimidation I felt. Yeah. You know, I've had past trauma in my life and yeah. obviously secondary trauma being in the district for a while and everything and taking in everything. And, me living near this, I've, I've also, I'm also experiencing this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because um, of, you know, the, the just outer gaslighting and lack of disregard and removal from the real issues folks have been facing here for so long, for decades. Yeah. You know, that I'm facing with myself, that my students are facing. And, and to say that this is a white people problem. It's just so removed. Yeah, white, wait, hang on. White people from Beverly Hills. He actually says, like, what, like, like, what the? Like, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what the? He was, he was, what, no, what the is the reaction? Yeah. He was Carson City Council person for years. And I'm just like, Carson is a frontline community. Like, yeah. we have a huge refinery. We have, a, you know, ideal oil wells. We have, we are a toxic frontline community. We just had the older incident happen. But this is happening in our community. We have been a dumping ground. And then what happened? Well, I mean, talk about the most polluted district, arguably, in the entire state. Yeah. And you're saying this is a white people problem. And then I'm wondering, do you see the people around you? You are a black man, right? Yeah. You live in uh, live in a community or over 90% people of color. How are you so removed? I, yeah, it was weird. How kind of dissonance that he's doing with himself yeah. to, to just make himself feel good? I don't know what sort of psychological thing is going on in his mind. But Too many years of the like, LAPD. <laughs> <laughs> well, I met, well, yeah, he was in the Beirut police department, but I, I was okay. in many years in, in toxic Sacramento yeah. without having a backbone, is what that is. If yeah. you put someone going in there taking corporate money and not having a strong backbone, Tina, yeah. you have to be able to say no to lobbyists. Because I've talked to progressives on the inside uh, that have told me this. It's like the ones that stay true are the ones that have a backbone. The ones yeah. that the lobbyists that come at you, because they're going to come at me too, right? But yeah. you have to say, you know what? No, I don't need. And the reason it's important to let corporate community legislate, this is why. Yeah. Because you can easily say no, because that creates your backbone. If they didn't elect you and only the voters did, and only individuals in the state who are tied to these interests did, they can come at you all they want. They're not a threat to your election, right? Because they didn't get you in office. And I think that's why corporate free legislators are so important. 
Yeah, but I agree. Money, money is the root of all evil in politics. Money too, and when Gibson got in, he yeah. got in always taking his money. He, he's always taking his money. So while it might have been easier in city council, even though he had bad votes there too, you know, it might have been yeah. easier when he started, even though he had bad votes. He, he got even worse a lot of times in his voting record. You know, and I think because the that's what happens. I mean, if you're, if you're, yeah. and, and he said some ridiculous things. Sorry, I, this is why I'm running. I'm running because of my anger and my passion, obviously. Yeah, no, it's a good motivation to run but, when you have an assembly person that isn't servicing. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, I mean, he said things, you know, this is, he said things like, well, and I think it's a dissonance he has. Like, because I'm like, what? Like, he's like, well, if I don't take this money, you know, a Republican's going to get elected. Or, you know, I'm not, I don't have a silver spoon. All of these things are like ridiculous because one, California is a blue state. Our district is so blue, right? There's no Republican that can win, even if you didn't raise any Right, right. Secondly, secondly, um, there are candidates like myself, you know, like Jackie Fielder who ran up north, um, and like a lot of grassroots candidates around LA that have raised money and, and, and have run viable campaigns if not one election, right? Um, and so, like, you cannot say that it, it, it's impossible to run, run not taking this money. Yeah, and I think he's taken uh, about $175,000 in donations uh, from fossil fuel companies that, I saw since 2014. And that's not counting police. He actually has taken the most in corporate money and gets the entire assembly. Wow, is that so, true? I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So he's taken them. Oh, wow. Okay. So definitely money in politics. I, I, I am a big believer in adding the 28th Amendment to the Constitution, which would overturn Citizens United. I think. Oh, yes, me too. I think money in politics is very problematic because you're right. It, it takes away your backbone. If if you need that money to run and you're in this vicious cycle of I've got to raise more money to win my next election, I've got to raise more money to win my next election. And that money's coming from corporations and not mm -hmm. from individual donors. You're right, you lose your backbone because those folks will pull their funding and then you won't have the funding you need to run again. So I see how people fall into this trap and I would say, uh, you know, a majority of politicians at one point or another have fallen into this trap and they're not serving the needs of their constituents anymore because of it. So it's the system and it needs to be entirely upended in my opinion. Yeah, you know, one thing, one thing I would add to that is 100%, you're absolutely right. And you know, there are some great bills that uh, Assemblymember Alex Lee, who's a, one of the two corporate free progressives, yeah. it, has been trying to use. And one of those bills um, that I want to just highlight for your listeners is um, he has a bill that's, um, that would end the influence of foreign money um, in, in the state. Because there are things we can do statewide, even though it's United Supreme Court decision. Yeah. Um, and, and that would essentially end a lot of corporate donations. If you think about oil company developers, a lot of them have foreign um, interests, right, yeah. and foreign investments. And so, um, it's a bill that doesn't seem like much. It's like foreign money. Like how does that do? What has with corporate money? But it would essentially, you know, um, end right a, a lot of the the sort of uh, corporate contributions that kind of like are getting. So I just want to highlight that bill. Like the number is not on uh, the top of my mind right now. But okay. And the influence of foreign foreign money in, in our state. That's and I'm all for that. I think we need to eliminate all money in the state, but that's a good start. You're right. A lot of these corporations are multinational. And also I would add that because of the fact we have a direct democracy system here, meaning that anybody can put a proposition on our ballot, that system has been overrun by corporate money and uh, wealthy elites as well, right? If they, if they want to pass a law in the state of California, they can pay signature gatherers to go out and get signatures for whatever bill they want. They can pay for advertising to then get it pushed through, even if, even if they're lying about things. I would say Prop 22 is a great example of this. 
you had, you know, uh, Uber, you had Lyft, you had Instacart, all of these companies threw in money in the pot to have a bill put on uh, our, our make a law that basically carves out workers' rights for their companies, where they're now going to lose out on getting unemployment and a whole host of things. So there's a lot of egregious um, kind of add-on effects that I don't think people think deeply about, but we need to get money out of politics. Yeah, 100%. So um, affordable housing, obviously, is another big issue in the state. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Costa Hawkins, I think, was a big turning point as far as losing affordable housing. So we had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, up until like what, 19, I think it was 1996 that this bill was passed. There was an ability for local municipalities to have rent control laws. Um, Costa Hawkins took that ability away, basically. Mm -hmm. um, part of how they sold that bill was they told um, real estate developers basically made the case that, well, there's tons of affordable housing out there, but if we don't get money in our coffers, we can't build new units, we can't uh, do upgrades and upkeep that we need to do, and let's grandfather in the old units and then mm -hmm. they'll always be there. But that's not what happened, right? What happened was, is all these real estate developers bought the old buildings, tore them down, and rebuild bigger buildings, and they're, voila, no more rent control. So, mm -hmm. um, and I think they had that intention in mind when they passed this bill. And, you know, again, it's all about selling a certain angle to the voting population that sounds good so that they can, they can get away with what they want to get away with. Mm -hmm. um, and now we've got a situation in this election cycle where I'm hearing never-ending campaign ads about being tough on crime, criminalizing homelessness, right? They all want to lock up homeless people at this point. Nobody wants to address the underlying fundamentals that are creating the homelessness. Wages are too low, rent is too high. If you're getting paid $15 an hour, which is the minimum wage here, you cannot pay rent. It's not possible. It's actually not mathematically possible. So I just don't understand how we're in an environment where the response to this is let's lock them up and put them in jail versus why don't we really look about the fact that wages have gone down in the last 30 years, that we have no affordable housing stock, and that maybe what's actually going on here is driven by bad policy? Yeah, 100%. Um, so if you look at, um, I mean, you talked about housing and you talked about, yeah, yeah, it's, it's public safety to me, the way I look at it is, um, you know, like, are we really providing a floor for people to stand on? And you, you, you said it right, you know, like, wages need to be higher. It's not, you know, what, what a minimum wage is, is not matching the rate of inflation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we see corporations and billionaires have record profits while the working class aren't getting those same raises, right? And yeah. are paying more in taxes. Um, so that has to change. The other thing, though, is just opportunity in communities. Like, I think of my district and all over LA, you know, um, I mean, our, our schools, let's just talk about it, are still failing too many of our kids. And that's not the fault of the kids or the families. It's what resources, what, what sort of public education, you know, are we giving our kids, right, from the time they're born? And what sort of, uh, what sort of uh, you know, education can they get for free after high school? Yeah. Right, that's a huge barrier when you call the college to the cost. So to me, when I look at public safety, I step back a few steps and say, well, what opportunities are there um, if we think about so yes, housing is one of them. Keeping someone housed is so important, right? Mm -hmm. And exactly, have, making sure we have rents that are affordable, wages that are keeping up with it. And honestly, we haven't built enough affordable housing, right? right. We have an affordable housing problem in our state. We've never built enough affordable housing. So that's that's a, that's something that is really important to know. Yeah. And also, yes, hundred percent, um, making sure our schools, 
right, are, are, are all these people that the kids want to go to. When I had my robotics team, when I remember, like, when I was able to, you know, even we teach in my classroom, like, my, my attendance, you know, was, was increasing. And, and also, like, you know, like, in my robotics team, for example, all my kids are in a four-year college. That's um, awesome. Whereas that's not in, in the case in Watts, right, um, and, and stuff. So it's just, like, investing on a larger scale in our youth, right, is really important. Now, that involves schools, but it involves psychologists, it involves, involves mental health care needs, not just for kids, but for the community. That's the need of public safety. Are you, do you have, does the community have everything you need? To be taken care of, and if that happens, if you think about homicides have actually decreased. I, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe since the 90s, by about 75 percent. I think I read in a recent article. Um, so we don't have violent crimes happening. What we're having are these crimes of poverty, right? We might have theft happening, right? We might have, you know, maybe yes, yeah, some gang violence. Like that is, of course, sometimes violence happening as well. That has a whole other cause too. It's about investing in community, right? Why, anyway, even game ones, why do these crimes happen? How do they start and why are these crimes continuing? To me, they're kinds of poverty. When you under-resource a community, you're either going to create one or two situations. Either community members are going to fight over it, and that's what you see in games. You see them fighting over territory and resources, right? Right. Um, or some sort of recognition, right, and clout, because how else are they going to get clout when college is expensive, when there's a lack of good jobs, when there's a lack of good paying jobs? The other thing you're going to see is folks trying to survive. So then you're going to see folks stealing and you know doing other sort of other sort of things to get resources for themselves and their family, right? Why do those things happen? Because you're not fully resourcing a community with what they need, right? So to me, that is where the conversation isn't going with a lot of the candidates at the assembly level, at the mayoral race, at the city council race. But that's where the conversation needs to go if you care really about making sure LA and our state is a place where folks can thrive, right? We need to be talking about these things. I mean, these are really yeah. important things to talk about if we want to really have a city that, that is livable for everyone. And, you know, we are seeing, Tina, folks leaving California for this yeah. reason. Like, we are seeing, that's when we lost the congressional district. If we want our state to be a place where people can actually have a good life, and not just someone in the upper middle class, but a working class family can have a good life here, like, we have to really rethink these fundamental structures uh, like wages, yeah. like cost of rent, like quality of food, like good paying jobs, like the ability to unionize at every job without threat, right? Um, like making sure that communities uh, aren't having their black and brown children put away in jail, but they're actually being taught well and they're actually being given a job. Those are the things we need to be talking about. And these are radical ideas. Like if you look at other countries, even sometimes other states, they're doing it better. Yes. Yeah. Right? And so we don't have to look far to look for models for some of these fundamental rights. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Um, you know, and I would say gang violence is far less that now than it used to be when I was um, in high school. So we've done, we have made some leaps and bounds there. And I don't think, I think they're using, I think they're trotting out crime right now as a fear tactic more so than anything else. To keep yeah. everybody in line, I do think um, I do think there's less serious crime now than there used to be, and I yeah, think I and I agree with you. What we are seeing an uptick in is crimes of socioeconomic issues, like you know these guys that are now. Uh, there was an article in the LA Times this week about these guys that are targeting rich guys with watches and they're stealing the watches. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it was only a matter of time before something like that started happening. You can't expect people to live. If the government isn't going to tax the rich. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it was like, I mean, I read this. About it, but, I mean, 
I know I'm, I'm not condoning crime and, and, and anything like this, but it's just not a shocking thing to read. You kind of kind of go like, yeah, that checks given the environment that we've been in the last few years and how it's steadily getting worse. You know, you know, and then you hear these things about homeless folks all being drug addicts, and that's just simply not true. Well, I, but, what's the, but, but also, also here's the thing with mental health care and, 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 and drug addiction: what services are available? None. Like, what I'm talking about, yeah. I'm talking with people in office. There's so much money that's put towards the police who have no training in these things. And we don't put enough money at all in mental health care workers. And they're out there. We have mental health care workers. It's not like we have a, a deficit of them. We just that's know, right. Our government's not investing in hiring them and having no, you know, outreach. Right. Let's talk about that for a second because I 100% agree with yeah. you on this. And I, think, I don't think it gets discussed enough. The reason the LAPD has 50% of the LAPD budget is because all of those tasks are lumped into the LAPD's task bucket, which is, it is laughable. It shouldn't be this way. We should be hiring mental health people to do mental health jobs. It's not only bad for the city, for the victims that get killed by the cops because the cops don't know what they're doing or how to handle it. It's also bad for the LAPD. Like I would say a majority of their bad shootings stem from this because they're being tasked, instead of like handling serious crime, they're being tasked to go deal with mentally ill folks. How does that make sense? It makes sense. happens in South LA that run policy is like, even when there is serious crime, they come after. So they're not yeah. preventing serious crime. Like, you know, they're not preventing, you're right. There's, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so maybe if you want to have some sort of like, you know, uh, what is it, a, a squad team or something that, you know, because I don't believe everyone would have the ultimate guns in every situation. I'm sure right. you agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. But maybe we have a special team that gets called out when it's a homicide or something, right? Yeah. Like you need something like that. But like, that's not even happening. <laughs> no, I know it's wild like, to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? They're coming after, and that's what the residents are. They, they either don't come in Compton, for example, and other areas, or they come after. Yeah. So they're not even preventing the crime that maybe they could be preventing. That's right. But, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's just I think we need to reform the whole system. Yeah, and recently one thing I asked this question at Law Club in Compton, they have these cameras all over Compton, and they're not working. They're not. And they're supposed to be like sheriff's cameras, and I'm just like, okay, so. That would actually prevent some crime, right? Like you could see what's happening. Well, hang on. It might prevent the. It might film the sheriffs doing crime is the problem. Wait, did I just say that publicly? I did say that. Did you just say that publicly? And let me see publicly too that the most police gangs were found in the Compton Sheriff's Department. Oh, 100 percent. There's a history of it. Yeah, from Anopoli. Because, but I think this was her work too, or something that came off. But the well, she did a great job compiling a history of this. So, um, actually, there's been reporting being done on this the last 15 years. I just don't know why it just never got traction in the past. I know the FBI has investigated the sheriff's department twice now. Uh, one of the reasons Paul Tanaka served time in jail was because he was part of a group that was hiding an FBI informant inside the prison system. Because this informant was tattling on the gang situation inside the uh, the uh, LA Sheriff's Department. Why why it might not have been happening? I'll just say it. Yeah. Because Cerise is an independent reporter. She's an investigative reporter. She has no ties uh, to FBI to police. I, I you know we look at the history of the FBI and the civil rights movement. Are they also to be trusted completely? Right. And I think they oh, and, and, uh, yeah. Exactly. So I think I think the reason we're seeing this now is because she's independent. Possibly. Possibly, because she dug through all the old records and put it all together, which was nice to see that done. But, you know, it's been going on a long time. The Vikings, you know, was a very serious problem, you know, 20 years ago. And it's something that's never been dealt with. I think, um, you know, I found proud boys that are in the ranks of the LA Sheriff's Department. So and there's definitely Oath Keepers and what have you. There's a very 
bad problem with the LA Sheriff's Department. I interviewed Alex Villanueva when he first ran for office back in like 2017, I think, is when I interviewed him. He was, believe it or not, running as a Bernie Sanders supporter no, as a leftist. Not. Yes, yes, he was. He was. I should. I need to re-release this whole audio because I think re-release it for sure. <laughs> I, think, I think people would be like, "What am I listening to?" They'd be shocked, right? So yeah, he 100 percent. I met him, believe it or not, at a Bernie Sanders uh, campaign thing. No, you did not. I did. Yeah. What? I did, and so I wanted to interview him. I'm like. Well, all right, I'll give this. I'll interview this guy. He's a sheriff that's going to run as a Bernie Sanders. So that's newsworthy. Yeah. That's shocking, actually. But yeah, he's not that guy at all. He fully admitted to there being a gang problem. Now he says the opposite. I just don't know who this guy is. Anyway, um, I think the sheriff's department is a mess. I, di I digress into a, a topic that I think is just you know worthy of discussion time and time again. But yeah. <sighs> but very frustrating. Uh, so, and you know, I want to also talk about the fact that, you know, Compton has an eviction rate that is four times higher than any other place in Los Angeles. That's according to data compiled by Curbed. That's a, that's a shocking number. Uh, why is that happening? Is it just folks living paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, insecurity as far as, as having a stable job? Like, what do you think the reasons are for that and how can they be addressed? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's class. It's a class issue, it's a race issue, it's a socioeconomic issue, it's all of those things, right? I mean, I started my campaign talking about systemic racism and class and, you know, how the system's intended to work, Tina. So not to be a downer, but I think it's working exactly like it's planned, right? Mm -hmm. You have a, a black community, a brown community, you have a low-income community. Um, you know, uh, what, what happens is you're going to have landlords that, that are there, you're going to have uh, speculators, you're going to have property managers, that are there just not caring, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and taking advantage, right? Of folks that are that are low and working class, um, and sometimes even middle class, right? And so I know, so that's why that's happening. Um, but to talk more logistics about how we can prevent that, right? Like this is why I'm a champion of tenants' rights laws, right? Making sure, like I want to pass this on the state level, making sure tenants have 100% right to an attorney, because in cases where eviction cases where tenants have an attorney, they actually win most of the time. What's happening right now is these landlords have attorneys because they have all the money. The tenants are just representing themselves and like you know what do you think is going to happen right so that's that's number one um and then number two i think it's also cost of hawkins and ellis right I think yeah speculators right i've heard it from every resident property taxes are just as high as those country beverly hills or santa monica and that's ridiculous because think about the median income there with the median income in compton like you know that's something folks are paying right on a yearly or monthly basis um but interesting you know yeah so so that that adds to the cost as well so um, hey guys, can we let's talk and talk about that for a second because I actually find that interesting. So uh, you know what that how that would make sense to me is because of Prop 13. So the older the so the older families that have owned their houses in Beverly Hills for like three generations are paying nothing in property tax, even though those houses are worth a lot of money, because the property taxes don't increase unless the property is sold. When whereas in areas like Compton, Inglewood, um, you know parts of the South Bay parts of San Pedro now even, where you've had, yeah, exactly, where you've had a lot of gentrification. So now you've had property that's exchanged hands multiple times, but also at a larger and larger increasing sums of money, right? Exponential increases because of gentrification. So now this is being taxed at that new rate that the house was purchased at, right? So yeah. I, I mean, it sounds counterintuitive when, when you say that, but I'm sitting here as you're saying that, thinking about it going, huh, yeah, that could check. 
Yeah, and this is why, like, I was a supporter of, like, for example, Prop 15. Because yeah. Prop 15 would have tax corporations. Um, Split roles, yeah. Money, mm-hmm, brought that money back to school. You know, like, when, when Prop 13, you know, uh, before we had, you know, with Prop 13, uh, we had, yes, we had better schools and everything like that. But, like, now, like, I'm thinking, like, you know, with, with the wages not increasing, expecting content folks to pay uh, that much, the community of content, is just unjust. And, you know, we need to think about how we can tax richer folks and yeah. also tax corporations, uh, you know, and industries, right, to, to bring that money, right, to our schools and to our communities. And it's ridiculous because folks say, like, you know, I know the property taxes is to on a home, but they, they say, like, our property isn't really, like, I mean, taken care of, too, a lot, right? Whether it's yeah. just landlord or they look at their community, too. Like, Compton has a lot of infrastructure issues with all their roads on their block and, yeah. and, it, it's, and sidewalks and just like less street lights not working and I know that's a lot of city issues but I mean you know the residents looking and saying I'm paying all these property taxes and like where's that money going yeah well the problem is yeah corporations like you know Chevron has a large facility for example in Richmond which is northern California they're paying absolutely nothing in property tax on this facility because of Prop 13. I, I still can't believe that that proposition was defeated this was one that I was squarely standing behind because they should split the roles there's no reason yeah. why these massive corporate entities should be getting a free ride. And I don't think it quite, I think they spent a lot of money, like the business roundtable spent a lot of money convincing voters. And, and, and yes, and I think probably charter schools as well. Oh yeah. Private, yeah. A lot of money. Is there any part of your platform that you think is really important that we haven't uh, discussed yet? Uh, yes. Uh, I think there's an important part of my platform we haven't discussed. And there's a lot. My platform is very all encompassing. But I think the thing I want to talk about is part of my platform that talks about um, uh, expanding democracy and putting people over process. This can be found on my website at platformofassembly.com. But just in, as, as some bullet points and what I want to do, my, my goal behind having these as part of my platform is to make government more rooted in people and bring the power back to people. So some of those points include uh, like expanding voting rights to uh, you know young folks in school board elections, local elections, and also undocumented immigrants and those in prisons to be able to vote in all our statewide elections, right? Um, I think that would drastically change the power structure because if we expand our voting electorate and we have more folks that are disenfranchised voting, voting that are younger voting, they're going to get the, the best type of candidates, right? I also believe in other voting reforms, like making election day a national holiday, automatic voter registration, which we don't have. I, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we have that yet, right? No, uh, we should have that. We should, yeah, we should have, exactly. And the other thing uh, as part of that platform too is working towards ranked choice voting, which I mm. think would be would help mm-hmm. out a lot, especially like, you know, in, in, in a lot of the primary elections, in a lot of the general elections, uh, general elections actually too, in, um, yeah, I, I know San Francisco has this and New York has it. Yeah. And it allowed a lot of uh, graphic candidates to, to get in. Absolutely. Um, because of that. Yeah, and I also want to get a, a place where, you know, LA has matching funds. The state should also do something like that and have matching funds, right? Yeah. Because I know that helps candidates drastically, oh my gosh, and being able to get much more funds, right? I mean, LA is a 61 ratio. With state races, we don't have that. Right. And so I would like to push for full public financing, but there was a law that passed in the 80s in California that prevented it. So we have to overturn that, uh, you know, by a, a strong, strong vote, right? I, I think you have is that a three quarters? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's three quarters. You might be right. Three quarters and or, or like on the ballot, right? So, okay. so but besides that, we could probably do a workaround and do some sort of matching funds or something for now, right? Which I think we should do. hundred um, percent. So that's something I want to do. And um, definitely, I, if I'm not there, I'd be supporting all of what Alice is doing with, 
with making sure we reform our elections to move that corporate money wherever we can. So I just wanted to address that because I think that in itself um, connects to a lot of other issues, right? Because if we do this, we're able to get more unthought candidates in office, mm-hmm. and more people are able to vote, and we're able to elect the right candidates, and more of those candidates are able to get the resources needed to win. You know, you're not wrong. That would be the basis uh, or the root foundation for everything that we're talking about if, we, yeah, if we're able to. Yeah, fossil fuel money. Real estate money is the number one uh, contributor right now in discussion yeah. on fossil fuel and its belief. So if we, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, if we can get candidates that don't aren't bought up by those money, money right? We need to right. get a lot of these tasks. Like check, okay, what's the next bill? Single payer, what's the next bill? Overnight right. Ellis, what's the next bill? Let's go. Right? right, because obviously, I mean, the reason, I mean, we just saw single payer gutted in the state because we couldn't get enough vote. I mean, they pulled the vote, which tells me that they were protecting incumbents. Who yeah. we're going to vote no. So, I mean, I think it does matter. Um, mm-hmm. Fatima, if people want to donate to your campaign, where is the best place for them to do that at? At your website, Twitter, Act Blue? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so my website is fatima4assembly.com. It's, you can see it right now on the video, but for, for the listeners uh, on the podcast, um, it's fatima, F A T I M A F O R assembly.com, fatima4assembly. You could, everything you want to access, you can access on my website. You could donate. Okay, fantastic. Thanks for joining me. And I definitely want to have you come back for a part two because I have a bunch more questions that you have brought to my mind from the Let's conversation. Do <laughs> Let's do it. You're, you're a great host. And I, I love where this conversation was going. So right on. Great.